Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, uplifting support for your grief and healing journey. We're here to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence so that you can build a life of purpose and joy. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Grief Coach. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 110, When Life Doesn't Let You Breathe with Rosalie Mass-Taylor. I butcher her name in a minute. You're going to hear that. (laughs) But it is Rosalie Mass-Taylor, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you. But first, welcome to 2021. What are you thinking about going into 2021? Are you looking forward to the new year? Are you just happy to put 2020 behind you? Are you taking the lessons that were learned in 2020 and bringing it into 2021 and feeling more hope? Or maybe you're feeling even less hope? Either way, either way, I'm glad you're here. And I would love to be a part of your 2021 and to share with you messages and stories of hope and to offer specialized help as well. If that's right for you at this time, I'm here for you as your grief coach. Now, this interview that I have for you today is a beautiful interview. Rosalie shares her story with its trauma and losses. She's going to share three different losses they experienced in about three years. And she shares it with so much love, so much grace, so much hope. Hope You're going to love it. Some of the things that I took away from our interview, some of the things that I want you to listen for is how unique each of our circumstances are and how we have to, how we have to own our story, like how you have to own your story and the unique circumstances of your story. As you hear Rosalie owning the unique circumstances of her story. She even shares how her experience was different than her husband's experience. The other, the the next one that, you know, that really stood out to me is the miracles in our story. Like we pray for specific miracles and sometimes those don't happen, but along the way, if we're paying attention, we'll see that there's other miracles. If you've read my, my book, Miracles in the Darkness, you'll notice that I share a lot of that with you. I didn't get the miracle of my kids living through that accident, but there were many other miracles that happened. Rosalie also shares how she helped her son with a loss. And I, I, I feel like that her sharing that part of the story is super important as we help our children through losses Either they're experiencing specific loss for themselves or they're experiencing the loss that occurs because of circumstances in their life. And the idea of getting support, listen for the support that Rosalie proactively sought and also that she accepted. She accepted support from the people around her. Another thing that that really came out in this interview was dealing with the what ifs, dealing with the, the, the things that we want to argue with about what happened. You know, how do we deal with that? And lastly, the power of prayer. A few different times through the interview, Rosalie talks about prayer and how that helped her and what she learned from that. 
Okay, let's dive right into the interview. I'm thrilled to have Rosalie Mass Taylor. Mass Taylor. Okay, I'm going to get it right. (laughs) We were just talking about that. It's Rosalie Mass Taylor. I'm so excited to have you on the show today to share some of your experiences with loss and and some that some that we'll all relate to and some that will you know be kind of new new experiences for people to hear that actually create grief. So tell us just briefly just a little bit about yourself and then we'll go right into it. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the chance to share our story and um just a little about me. Um, we're currently living in Texas, grew up in Southern California, and I have three little boys. I wish I could say all of them were little. They're still little in my mind, but my oldest is 10, middle is seven, and the youngest is three. And um, I am a stay-at-home mom, but I also do a lot of stuff on the side. I teach music and um, craft and just fun stuff like that. Wow. Very fun. We have a lot in common. (laughs) Where in Texas are you? Central Texas. Central Texas. Near Austin. Okay, fun. Yeah, we we lived in Dallas for a while and then we lived in Houston. Um, Up until 2015, we lived in Houston. So I love Texas. So I I appreciate that. And I also taught music and I (laughs) I also really enjoy crafts. And that was kind of my social circle was the crafting world. So yeah, that's really fun. So tell us a little bit about, I know this involves your oldest son. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your story, kind of what happened and, um, and, and we'll just start there. Sure. In 2015, Um, my son was attacked by my husband's police dog. It was the dog that lived with us. Um, he was with my husband all the time and we had him for about a year and we don't know exactly how it happened, but he walked into the backyard and the dog was out and the dog attacked him. Um, it mangled his legs so badly that they had to amputate it. And that set us on a very long and challenging recovery of trying to get him to walk again and also heal from the trauma and adapt to a very, very new life. Mm. Uh, I I can't imagine what that must've been like for you and your family. Mm -hmm. My word. So this happened kind of like in the middle of the day. And then tell us a little bit about like how that happened, like how, you know, what the first response was, where you went. So I, I was gone, um, which I feel like adds a whole new level because I think that was really hard for my son because his mom wasn't there. And after the fact, that's what he questioned the most was why weren't you there and had that fear of, oh, mom leaves and something happened to me. So Um, I was gone on an errand. And so it happened while my husband was home and he was actually taking a shower at the time that the attack happened. Um, And there's a lot of details of the attack itself. But basically, once my husband got to Hunter, um, 911 was already called and we ended up rushing him to the airport so that he could be airlifted to the children's hospital. I didn't get a call until, um, until the paramedics were there. And that's when I was told, um, Hunter's been bit. You need to get home right now. Mm, 
And then how, tell, how long was his recovery? Like how long was he in the hospital? What, what did that look like? So they tried everything they could to save his leg at first. Um, they weren't super hopeful because what happens with young veins and, um, those arteries that, and they're, it's the, they try to pump the, I'm trying to think of the right word. (laughs) Sorry. So they tried to save his foot, but the blood flow wouldn't return. So basically what they did is they put the bones back together and try to stabilize it as best as they could try different medicines, tried everything for about three days. And each day it just got worse and his foot turned black and blue. And that's when they decided, you know, it needs to, that leg needs to go or it's just going to keep getting worse and we could end up with more complications. So they amputated his leg, but they couldn't close it up because of the infection from the dog bite. And so they had to leave it open. And then he had the final surgery a few days later. He was in the hospital for a total of 11 days and then came home and um, then started on the recovery of physical therapy and learning to walk again. Hmm. And, and during this time, where were you? Like, what was happening for you? At first, I, I feel like those 11 days were a journey in and of itself on top of the recovery after that. Cause at first I, I felt like, um, we were going to get a miracle and that they were going to save his leg because it was still intact enough in my mind for it to be okay. And I just felt like something this bad couldn't happen to one of my children. And Mm -hmm. so for those three days, I just prayed the hardest I've ever prayed in my entire life. And, um, and then I finally had to come to terms that he's going to lose his leg and I need to accept that because I want him to accept that. And, um, and then they did the amputation and we moved on from there. You know, I think your, your explanation there, like your, your feelings and your thoughts there are so common. Mm -hmm. We we want the miracle. Yeah. Want the miracle. And so we believe in the miracle, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. Great thing to believe in the miracle because miracles do happen. But sometimes the miracles are a little different than what we expected. Mm -hmm. When they did the amputation, was it, was it to the ankle to, to the, does he still have his knee? He still has his knee, which right there is a miracle in and of itself because that knee, um, that is a huge life change. If he lost the knee, it would have been so much more different. Um, the prosthetic would have been different. So when all was said and done and my husband and I were able to reflect on everything and we thought about where he was bitten on his body, we, we felt so strongly that was literally the best place that he could have been bitten because it gave enough limb below the knee to have a good use of prosthesis. Yeah. And, and right there, you're, you're sharing like the miracles that did happen, right? Mm -hmm. The miracle that he, he, that his knee was intact, that, that they were able to save that. And, and, and just to kind of um, share with everyone, because I don't know that I've shared this story before 
on the podcast, but my granddaughter was born with a, who, who happens to be about the same age as Hunter Mm -hmm. now. Um, she was born with a condition that ultimately resulted in her foot being amputated just before she turned four. Uh, That's why like your story, while it's a different circumstance, certainly, Mm -hmm. and, and brings a whole new, you know, um, aspect to it, but, um, it, it really touched me, your mm-hmm. story of your son and what happened and his living with a prosthetic now as I watch my granddaughter and she does so well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I know that I, I watched her parents go through the struggle of making that decision to amputate when that, you know, her parents being my daughter and my son-in-law and so I feel really, really connected to that piece of the story and how, you know, the, and, and the other aspect of that is they had some, they had some knowledge it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So they put some things into place and, and I'll just mention a couple of things. And that was that they, they started talking about it with her and started her getting her used to the idea. Yeah. They introduced her to other kids that had a prosthetic. And so she got familiar with the prosthetic and, and seeing that, you know, it's, it's normal to Mm -hmm. not, not normal in that, you know, everybody has a prosthetic, but that it's okay, that it can be a part of normal life. Yeah. And, and so they had that advantage and you didn't, Mm -hmm. and and you, you, you're dealing with this huge change and the trauma of the experience. Yeah. So what happened when you got home? It was the, our first day home, I feel like was so, of course, so nerve wracking because it was, he had to come home with a pick line. The the infection, because it was a dog bite, the infection um, was very stressful because he had to be on heavy doses of antibiotics for weeks after the hospital stay. And so there was a part of me that just was so stressed out to bring him home because he didn't have 24 hour care. And now I had to jump into this mode of not only mom, but also a nurse. And that was really hard. Luckily, my mom is a nurse and my husband's mom is a nurse. And they both stepped in and really helped with that. Um, And coming home, though, it, it was when it hit, like, this is our new reality. And, um, Hunter did not take the losing of the lake well, and it was just so confusing for him. Um, for days, he just asked like, can we go back to the hospital and get it? Is it in the backyard? Like he, he could not wrap his mind around it and he would just cry and cry and cry. And so to deal with that emotional and physical recovery for months after was excruciating. Yeah. You're, you're bringing tears to my eyes. Cause I can remember, I can remember when my granddaughter came home, you know, just before she turned four and we're all sitting in the kitchen. And I think, I think she'd been home from surgery for like two days. And she said, can I just get my foot back? And it just like brought us all to tears because you know, that's, that's hard. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not, you know, it's not, 
it's not just his loss and dealing with his experience. It's your loss and dealing with your experience and, Mm -hmm. and the emotions around that. And, and, you know, what you said there about like, that's when it really hit is when we came home, because I think we go into, you you know, you probably went into emergency mode, right? You're at the hospital and you're just like, you're just taking one thing at a time, just kind of in this emergency state that Mm -hmm. we go into where we're just like focused on what needs to be done right now. And then you get home and it's like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. isn't just the emergency. This is the long term. Yeah. And the fact that you had that support of your, your mother and your Mm mother-in-law, it's a big part of our own recovery is getting some, you know, getting that support port because what got us through before something Mm -hmm. happened is not the same thing that gets us through after. Right. Oh yeah. Um, What, what ifs went through your mind? Oh, so many. Um, what if I had taken him with me? Um, what if the dog wasn't let out? I mean, there were definite things that could prevent it, but I would say they weren't at the forefront of my mind because I, it, it just felt like a waste of mental space because there was so much more to focus on um, between my husband. I mean, it was my husband faced so much different trauma than I did because he's the one that got to Hunter as right after he was attacked. And I like, I could not imagine like walking in on that scene. When I got to him, he was already stabilized and about to get on a helicopter, which helped me to stay calm. Um, So those what ifs were, you know, I thought about them, but they didn't take up too much of my thoughts. Yeah. Did there come a time when that became a bigger part of it? No, no, no. I, I, I feel like that, there's another miracle too, that I was able to, um, accept it. My husband dealt and still does deal with guilt because he knows that it was on his watch. He knows that, um, that he could have put Django back in his cage. Um, and you know, I, I feel very blessed that it never, it never consumed me. I didn't blame my husband and, I just knew there was so much focus that we needed to put into moving forward and healing. Yeah. You know, that's a huge, huge part of the healing process is that acceptance piece. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, it was a miracle. It was a blessing that you were able to get to that piece Mm -hmm. as quickly as you were. Yeah. So what does it look like today? Like what are some of the, the, what are some of the challenges today? What are some of the things that you've been able to work through? So it's been five years and um, I would say the first one to two and a half years were so hard and a lot of different levels of recovery, both physical and mental that now um it's just a whole new life for us. And uh, I would say the challenges are, you know, every now and then I would feel um, 
you know, something might be said to my son that makes him have a bad day, or I would say he sometimes dwells on the what ifs. Um, And those are hard too, because I have to talk him through those, but he's, he's kind of gone through those in his mind. Like, what if daddy was never a police officer? What if I never went out in that backyard? Um, So those are some little things that we have to deal with. And they were bigger before, but now they just seem so much, so much better. But now we just have adapted and we have a lot of appointments. My, he, because of the accident, he also lost some of his hearing. Mm-hmm. So he also has a hearing impairment. Um, and that's something we, we deal with now too, which actually that poses a lot more problems these days than his leg, because academically it's a lot harder for him challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what helped you get through this period of, you know, trauma of, of sadness of loss? What, what helped you? I started reading a lot. I started reading, um, a lot of memoirs. Um, I read Amy Purdy's book, who is the, um, Paralympian, the snowboarder, she was also in Dancing with the Stars. And it was interesting because I saw her on Dancing with the Stars before Hunter lost his leg. And then I was able to think back about her. And so I read her book. Um, I just read a lot of uplifting and inspiring books. And I just really looked up to those people and looked at how they were able to overcome their trials. So that helped a lot. Community really helped a lot. We take Hunter to camps. And, um, they, they are very one camp in particular, which is camp no limits is very family centered. And they like, you know, the parents to talk to each other and to help one another if needed. And then the siblings even get together and they have like their own little support group, which is extremely important. And then the amputees get together by age and gender and everything. And so, um, yeah, the community has helped a lot and just seeing what is out there and all the resources, um, camps and events and clinics and everything. Yeah. So you're, you're like, you're proactive Mm -hmm. in the process. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing, you know, proactive and finding the support for you, for your family, for your son, proactive and reading things that were inspiring. So huge. Like, Unfortunately, right now, it feels like the the things that are not inspiring, the things that are more discouraging are more easily accessed mm-hmm. because of, you know, just the easy access to like, say, Facebook and people just going on and, you know, complaining, I guess. I, yeah. Like maybe is the best way to put it. And we can really get kind of sucked into that, but mm-hmm. just really putting out putting, you were looking forward, like you, you, you were able to create a vision for yourself mm-hmm. of what was possible for your son mm-hmm. by reading these, these memoirs and being so pre- proactive. So yeah, that's great. Now, as we were talking before we went live, you mentioned that there were some other things that happened. in I think you said like a three-year period. So this wasn't the only loss you guys experienced. It wasn't the only, um, only hard thing that happened. Share Mm -hmm. a little bit about that. So when Hunter um, was almost two, we lost our baby. It would have been our second child. And when I was about 
16 weeks pregnant, my doctor spotted something and realized that something was wrong. And after a few weeks of going to a specialist and um, getting some tests done, we found out that she had Turner syndrome, which is a chromosomal defect, and that she um, it was just a matter of time before she passed away. Mm. What was that like? That was probably one of the darkest times of my life um, to carry a baby that I knew I would never be able to raise was really hard. At the same time, I was grateful that I was still carrying her. Um, and then when I delivered her as a stillborn and went home without a baby, um, I did get to go home to Hunter, which was a huge blessing because I just remember coming home and just hugging him and being so grateful that I was a mom and that I had him um, to, to help me through uh, but that was the first time in my life where I was just so sad and so unhappy that I realized happiness is a choice. And if I'm going to be happy, I need to choose to be happy and I need to figure out what that's going to look like. And um, I think that really, really helped me when Hunter lost his leg because I had I was able to get through that dark time. And um, I also remember praying and just begging God to not let me go through something hard again because it, it just hurt so much. And I just remember getting the answer to that prayer. And the answer was, have faith, continue to have faith. And at first I'm like, no, I know what that means. Like, I I don't want to have, I, I have faith. I have faith, but I don't want to have faith that I'm going to be able to get through something again. Cause that's how I, I just knew what that meant. And that first night in the hospital and being next to Hunter's bed, that moment came back to me. I'm like, okay, I have been prepared for this and I know I'm going to get through it. It wasn't easy by any means, but I knew I would be supported and sustained. Wow. That is so beautiful. I, yeah, a hundred percent, you know, just, that realization, all that understanding that you that you received during a really difficult heart. I I I can't imagine what I I mean just the thought of carrying a baby knowing that she wasn't going to survive. Mm-hmm. What a what a what a difficult, challenging time. And then to have all of this understanding that came from that, you know, understanding of like the sadness and the darkness and that things can get better, understanding that, you know, God's there and you have faith and you can move through. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's possible. It's possible to move through. And then something else happened. What else happened after that? So Hunter lost his leg in February and in April, we, um, we got a call that Michael's brother um, was experiencing some pain and we, his sister was actually having a baby at the time. And so we accompanied his brother to the hospital. We were the ones there with him and um, he was married and his wife was there. And then my, my husband's other brother was there. And that's when we got the news that he had cancer. Mm -hmm. And um, part of me was like, okay, he's, he was in his early twenties. And it was testicular cancer. 
and like, okay, like he's going to get through this, but he might die. And because it's cancer, like we all, I mean, that's one of the scariest words I think anybody could hear. And, um, he got surgery right away, but it had spread too far by the time they had caught it. And he went through chemo, um, for months and then, um, eight months after, I'm sorry, not eight, five months after his diagnosis is when he passed away. Mm. What was that like for your family? You don't realize how much um, just one person can make so much difference in your life until they're gone. Um, you know, I feel feel like we think about like wars or 9-11 or shootings and we see the numbers like, oh, 12 people died at that shooting, thousand something died at, at this event. And we put so much weight into those numbers and then you lose one and just think one is just weighs more than you can ever describe or explain. And, um, I've never been one to be bitter or turn against God or even necessarily ask why more like, what can I learn? How can I get through this? But with Scott, cause my husband and I are high school sweethearts. I've watched his little brother grow up from a preteen and um, I've always been very close to his family. So to lose his brother was, um, that was my brother. That was my little brother. And um, I loved him so much. And I just remember going home from one of his appointments and just thinking to myself, like, God, if you take him from me, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back from this. And I just remember like feeling, expressing that anger. And then right away, I just, I just told myself like, Rosalie, that it's not you. You will get through this if something happens to him and that's not you. And, um, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Wow. You express, I mean, just the way that you shared that, I just want to thank you for bringing words to the preciousness of life. Mm -hmm of each person, of each individual. It really is just monumental when someone we love and we care about is such an integral part of our life and has been, and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. It just really creates such a hole in our Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. When, you know, you, you, you mentioned that during that time that you prayed that, told God that you didn't know that you could, that you could handle that. Mm -hmm. What have you learned since then? Luckily it was a pretty quick turnaround of that, that little moment of bitterness. Um, I think, you know, having him pass away, but having the feelings of, of him not feeling like he's gone has strengthened me so much, strengthened my testimony and faith of heaven and of the plan of salvation and of life. Um, We miss him dearly, but at the same time, I still feel like he's so close. My love isn't any less for him. Um, My happiness 
for him is exceeded anything because he's in the best place that he could be. And we even joke like, man, Scott is the lucky one out of us. <laughs> and, and at first I'm like, no, we are, we are blessed too. We're here on earth and we are happy. Um, but, um, and we always joke because those claw machines in stores that nobody ever wins, Scott always won. Like if we, we knew we would get something, Scott, here's a dollar, please like get my kids something. And um, he was just the lucky one of the family. He would win every little thing that he entered. Um, and then he, and then he's the one that got cancer and, um, but also was able to, um, I mean, he was just such a good person and lived such a great life. And I, I just couldn't be happier for him. Yeah. He graduated, yeah. <laughs> graduated earlier than anybody would have expected. Right. Well, as we're concluding this wonderful conversation, I'd love for you to share just briefly what it was like to have these like, boom, 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 the kind of these big things happen. And well, let's just start there. What was that like? It felt like our lives weren't letting us breathe. <laughs> um, just felt like, and it was kind of scary to think, is this our new norm? to have to deal with one big thing after another. And you meet those people too. It's like, man, like, when are you going to let up on them? And it was almost scary to think like, are we, are we one of those? And, um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if we're being prepared for whatever's next, at least we're being prepared. And, um, we just always, I always try and focus on, what I can learn and um, what I'm going to be blessed with as I come out of it. Mm -hmm. Is there any one last thing that you'd like to share with everyone? I, you know, I, you, you reached out to me, which is a beautiful thing. I'm so glad that you did because this has been a blessing to me and I'm sure it's a blessing to everyone that is listening. Um, is there you know, and you, you expressed, I was going to say, you know, you reached out and you expressed your desire to share your story in order to help others. And which I think is just a, a wonderful thing. Is there any last thing that you would offer to people that are going through difficulty? I, I have been able to learn so much about healing um, and grief and recovery. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned is to be patient. Because even though I was focused on it, and even though I knew it would come, um, there were moments and there was still a part of me that felt like it didn't come soon enough. And I think that's an easy trap to fall in. And, and I did fall in that trap because I felt like I should feel this way by now. And I don't, even though I was accepting and even though I was positive and felt peace, um, there was still a part of me that struggled with I'm at this point and I want to be at this point. So I think that's my, my, always my biggest thing is you have to be patient. I hate that saying, you know, it's, um, time heals wounds or, and, and it's like, no, I don't want time because I'm not in control of time. Mm -hmm. I can't fast forward. And I think that's what we all want when we are trying to heal from any loss. And, um, we do have to be patient and just try and take it in strides and take it 
day by day and embrace what you're going through in the moment and not try and take yourself out of it to move, to move ahead. Mm. Yeah. So important, you know, it's, it's, but you know, the, the time is important, Mm -hmm. but then it's also, it's what we do with that time. Yeah. And, and you put yourself in a position for healing by, by getting the support that you needed by looking for the uplifting, messages that were out there by being able to create a vision for the future mm-hmm. of, um, of good things still coming and, and the additional support that you got from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Is there a place where people can reach you if they want to reach out? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I would say my biggest place is on Instagram and you can find a lot of videos of Hunter on there. Um, some are funny and some are um, a little bit more meaningful, but we are, my last name, it's Mass Taylor Party of Five. And um, it's kind of a family affair. Like his brothers jump on there and I'm there. And my husband actually just did a podcast. And so we're going to hear from him soon. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun place to be. At least that's what I want it to be. So I hope people come and just take a while and check us out. Awesome. Yeah. Mass Taylor party of five. Yes. On Instagram. Perfect. Well, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story and your insights and your love and your gratitude, all the, all the beautiful things that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Rosalie is so full of hope and encouragement. Be sure and go to build a life after loss on Instagram and share your appreciation for her wonderful message of wisdom. You can go to the post, you'll see her picture, you'll see episode 110, and you can share what you learned. You know, I shared some of the things that before the interview, some of the kind of the the points that really stood out to me in the interview but I'm sure there's other things that you gained and I want to hear about it. And also, you know, maybe it was some of the things that I shared, but it really stood out to you. So go, go to Instagram, go to build a life after loss, share with us what you learned, what you took away from this interview, and especially share your appreciation to Rosalie because she reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got this story and I would love to, to share it. And I just really am so grateful that she is sharing this story. It's so important. It's so important. Um, you know, she shared in the interview how, how hearing other people's stories, like reading the, the book with, Amy Purdy, like how that much that meant to her to see how somebody else dealt with a similar loss. And I think this is really important that we are human beings experiencing human experiences and we help each other by sharing. Also, you can remember you can find Rosalie on Instagram at Mass Taylor Party of Five. And that link and the other links are in the show notes. There's no accident that you are here. Like there's none. If you read my book, you know that a few years ago, I felt inspired. I felt like truly like called, like, I don't even know how to describe it. 
but I knew I was supposed to do something like some, I was supposed to do something with my story to help others who were suffering with loss. Like I had, like it was a, it was a journey to figure out what that was. But here I am now trained as a grief coach offering how I went from being an absolute puddle on the floor, unable to manage my own life to living a good life full of hope and love and good things. Like it's a miracle. And this didn't happen overnight. Yes, time is involved, but there's more than just time involved. I can't tell you how many times over and over and over again, I read, especially on Facebook, on these on these groups where people say it's been 10 years and it was like it was yesterday. They're still in that same amount of pain. And if you're dealing with that, if it's been a year, two years, three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, it's okay that you're exactly where you are, but is it where you want to stay? Like, do you want that to be your story that you were in pain for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, that you stayed in pain the rest of your life? It's a miracle that I find myself where I am and I can see the path that got me from where I was to where I am now. And I offer that to you. I offer you that same encouragement. If you're looking for what to do next or how to rebuild your life, you are in the right place. Again, I'll, I'll, mentioned that I offer a free call. Like all you have to do is click on the discovery call link and schedule a time and we'll talk and we'll see how it fits. The other option is on Thursday, I want you to put this on your calendar on Thursday, January 14th at 2 PM. This is mountain time. Join us for a free webinar. It's totally free healing your grieving heart. Now you're going to say to yourself, I don't need to go to this webinar because I listen to the podcast. I'm getting what I need from the podcast. Okay. I get it. But in webinar form, when you can see the pictures where I can draw it out for you and kind of show you what's next, it's 30 minutes of goodness to help you on your way to starting 2021 to be your healing year. I know you have a lot going on, but you are important. Your healing is important. Make it a priority. Quit putting off the things that will, that will help you quit putting those things off. Register. When you register, we'll send you the replay. If you're unable to join us live, because I get it. You have kids to homeschool. You have kids to pick up from school. You have dinner to prepare. You have jobs to be at all the things. I get it but don't keep putting yourself on the back burner. It's time to make yourself and your healing and your happiness a priority. Think about how much better and easier everything else in life is going to be if you figure out your healing, if you figure out your happiness. So if you're feeling frustrated with your grief or you're not sure what to do next, or you just want that extra little boost of what to do next. And you just want to feel like someone understands because I do like I understand. Then go click the link in the show notes and join us on January 14th at 2 PM mountain time, because grief is hard. 
I know it is, but it's also possible to heal and you can make great progress in your healing in 2021. More progress than you have any idea is available to you. You have so much progress available to you in healing your heart. You really can. You really can heal your heart. I believe in you. Like I tell you that every week because it's true and I've got you. So have a wonderful week. Go click the link. And remember, again, I'm going to remind you, I do. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in your healing. Love you. Bye.